0: Well, good morning, Crossroads. How are we doing today? Hey, today we're in a second week of a message series we started last week on the book of Elisha, the character of Elisha. It's really a story about ridiculous faith, and our goal in this series is that your faith and my faith and the faith of our church grows. Last week, we looked at ridiculous commitment. We talked about burning the plows and killing the cows. If you missed out on that, you might want to tune in. You can check that out. Today, we're going to talk about digging some ditches. I hope you brought your shovel. If you would, take out your message outline. You can follow along, fill in the blanks, make your own notes as we go on this journey together. But before we start, I want to ask you this question. How many of you have ever played the what-if game or the only if game? The only if game. If only, and then you fill in the blank. I think we've all done that, whether we'll admit it or not. If most people like, we think things like this. Remember when the lottery was over a billion dollars? People are like, if only I won that. They said you had a 25 times more likely to get struck by lightning, so good luck on that. Just save your money or give it to me. Anyway, if I had more, if I only had more money, then whatever if god would only answer this one prayer if only god you would answer this one prayer some ladies are saying if i only had a husband others are saying if i only had a different husband right but if i only had this my life would be so much better What I want to do today is I want to encourage you, as we go through this message, I want you to think and process this
1: message as you think about the number one if only in your mind.
0: The greatest need that you have. Process this message through that if only this would happen. And it's my prayer that God will speak to you in a way that changes you to look at life and to look at God and to look at yourself differently. Let me kind of give you the context for our study today. We're going to walk through this thought. If I want you to think about there's three armies. There's three kings each leading their own army. And they're going to go up against a battle against the Moabite army. All right? So it's kind of three against one. I don't know how you do math, but to me, I like my odds if it's three against one. Right? You pick the three, you got the one, the odds are in your favor. Now, if that sounds like a good deal, like they're, they're ready, like three against one, we've got this. The problem is, is that this army, is, the three armies as they're preparing, we find that they're wandering and marching and they have been without water for seven days before their big battle. They've got it all made up in their minds that we've got the odds in our favor, but what they didn't calculate or didn't figure out was that now we're seven days wandering around. Our animals are exhausted, my people are exhausted, and we have no water. How many of you know that sometimes life doesn't work out the way it planned in our minds? Yeah, that's where they're at. They thought they had it all figured out, but now they're without water for seven days, and this story is going to teach us an important, important lessons some key principles of how you and I can learn from the book of Elisha and from Elisha in these stories. So if you're taking notes, fill this in. This is where we're going to start today. Your greatest need, remember I want you to kind of think through your greatest need and process this message that way today. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Because can we just face it? A lot of times, God's our last resort. We try everything we know in our power, in our mind, the, our way of doing things. And when we run up against the brick wall, when we're out water for seven days, then oftentimes many of us will say, God, where yeah? you at? Right? Am I the only one? We got a bunch of liars here today. You come to the right place. But anyway, all right. So let's read in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9 through 12, just to get us going. Verse 9 says, so the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. There's your three kings. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals that were with them. So they're in trouble. Look at verse 10. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? In other words, we thought we were going to win easily, but now we're worried that we might not even survive. Look at verse 11. But Jehoshaphat, one of the kings, asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha's son of Shaphat is here. He used to pour water on the, on the hands of Elijah. Now in case you didn't understand or you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch that or take that in. But Elijah was Elisha's mentor. And Elijah had done some pretty remarkable miracles. There was one time where through Elijah, God sent a cloud that was the size of your fist And it grew and grew and grew, and they had one of the biggest rainstorms they had ever had, and it started with a small, a very small cloud. And they knew that. And so they're asking, hey, isn't there somebody that's in tight with God that might be able to help us with our water situation? Because Elijah did it. Well, they said Elisha was mentored by Elijah. Maybe he can help us out. Look at verse 12. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with Elisha. (laughs) So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. You know it's important when the kings are going to check out this guy that they've just heard some stuff about. Now, so we got these three kings. They're going to go battle against the Moabites. They, They figure the odds are in their favor. It's three to one. They run out of water. They're in big danger. And now they're searching for someone that might be close to God that can help them out. Now, here's what you may not know. Those three kings were not serving God. They were not followers of God. They were not committed to God. They were not even seeking him. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, because they're in trouble, they do what we've often done. Woo-hoo, where's God? Did it our way. We had our plan, not seeking God, not serving God. Our way is not working. We've hit a brick wall. God, (laughs) God. I hope somebody's close to him that we can find that can get us out of this. And so they say, is there anybody that's in good with God? Well, hey, there's this Elisha. They say, maybe he can help us out. So they go to him. They'd heard about the miracles. And Elisha had already done some miracles, and this was kind of his rookie year, if you will. It's pretty impressive, some of the stuff that he had done. He, He took a polluted body of water once. They couldn't drink from it. It was bad for your body. And he prayed, and he and the water was healed, and the people were able to drink. That was Elisha. So they're like, oh. Another time, this is this was one of my favorites. There were some young boys in Elisha's day that were making fun of him. And because apparently Elisha didn't have much hair, he was kind of bald or baldine. And these young boys, being young boys, they saw him and they started making fun of him. They were calling him baldy, 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 and that kind of fun. Kids, I don't know what kind of kids would do that. I've never did anything like that when I was growing up. But anyway, the Bible says that Elisha, and I love this attitude about Elisha, because I could see myself doing something like this. Elisha had some bears come out of the woods and they ate the boys. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to do that sometime (laughs) to someone? That's in your Bible. I didn't make this up. You can read that stuff. It's actually there. And so anyway, they they both have this background. Elijah done some miracles. Elisha already just as a new up-and-comer has done some miracles. And and so they decide we've got to talk to him. And let me tell you what Elisha does. When they come to him and they say, Kate, we've heard that you might be able to help us out. He kind of cops an attitude, and I like this about him. So he's got three kings here, and he, he, they want to ignore God. They're not following him. And Elisha knows this, and so when these kings come and ask him, Elisha's like, oh, so you're having some problems. And watch what he says, verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, that's one of the kings, why do you want to involve me? I mean, I'm a man of God. You guys ignore God. You don't even serve God. Why do you want to involve me? He says, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. <laughs> hey, why don't you go ask your mama? Why don't you go ask your daddy? Why are you coming to me? You don't want anything to do with me, and, and I'm me and God. We're tight. Why are you coming to me? You don't even follow him. Like, go ask your mama. Let her go through her uh, tarot cards or consult the horoscope, whatever you want. But why are you coming to me? <laughs> Isn't that fun? Isn't it fun? We can have fun in church. Fun reading your Bible. People are like, that stuff's really in there. It's in here. But anyway, he goes on. Call the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together. What? To deliver us into the hands of Moab? I mean, is that what he did for us? Look at verse 14. Elisha said, now he's kind of on his smart aleck again thing, and I like this. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve... You don't. He didn't say that part, but it was, you know. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I didn't have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. So he's saying to the other two kings, listen, I kind of know Jehoshaphat. He's not serving God, but he had at one time served God. And if I didn't know or if I wasn't in with him a little bit, I wouldn't even pay attention to the others but because I know him, listen, you need a prophet, so I'll be your prophet. And then look at verse 15. He makes a demand. This is awesome. But now bring me a harpist. <laughs> hey, if you want me to prophesy, like I need some background music. So like go get the biggest Hardest to play instrument, hardest to haul around instrument, and find somebody who can play it, and come on back and give me a little harp music in the background so I can do this thing that you want me to do. I just love that.
1: It's like, man, that's my kind of profit, as long as it's towards somebody else. (laughs) And Elisha's like, play the harp. I can hear the
0: music playing right? And he's sitting there. And does he bring them a word of encouragement? Does he tell them what they want to hear? Not really. Instead, he gives them a ridiculous or what seems like a ridiculous command. Look at verse 15 and 16. Then it happened when the music played. So they went and got the harp and they got a harpist. When they played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, Elisha, and he said, thus says the Lord, Make this valley full
1: of ditches. What? Like we want water. And you're telling us God
0: wants us to dig ditches? I thought he was going to make it rain. I thought you were going to speak to your God and he was going to give us big vats, those coolers with a five-gallon pail that drip out water. But you want me and my armies, all these men that are, they're thirsty, they're about to drop over dead, and our animals, and you want us to do manual labor and dig a ditch? Elisha's like, that'd be a yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no sign of rain anywhere. You ever been really, 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 really thirsty? Anybody? I. I don't believe there's a person in this room, anybody listening at home, you've been seven days without water. You're in dangerous situation without water. Look at verse 17. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley you will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Verse 18, this is kind of cocky. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, you have no idea how powerful, how big and how strong and how mighty my God is, the one that you're not serving. At the snap of a finger, my God could provide you water. It's easy in the eyes of my God. He could do it without even
1: thinking. (laughs) But he'll bring your rain bring you some water, but you need to
0: dig some ditches. And he'll also, get this, he'll also deliver Moab into your hands, which is what they came there for in the first place. Well, that's kind of the contrast, that's kind of the back of the backstory of what's going on here. And what does that mean, though, for us? What does that mean for you and for me in our greatest point of need? And what's in your world, in your position in life right Now, we need a faith that works. Not like a faith that works like, whoo, I had faith and it just worked, but sometimes it's a faith that needs works. Like you and I need to take some action. Like God wants us to do something, like bring out our shovel and be ready to dig some ditches. We're talking about faith that's effective. We're talking about faith in action. It's a faith that works. That's what we're talking about. how do you tell if someone has faith? You ever heard people's, this is pretty common today, I'm a person of faith. Oh, good. They're one of us. I see a lot of people that have faith that are doing nothing. How do you tell if someone has faith? Listen, I'm telling you that one of the ways you tell if you're really a person of faith is by your actions. Actions. Because God says faith without works is dead. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants to see our faith before oftentimes he'll show us his faithfulness. So we're going to look at two principles about a faith that works. If you're taking notes, you can fill this first one in. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. (laughs) Only God can send the water, but sometimes He wants you and I to dig a ditch. James 2.26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works, without action. Now think about this. The God who spoke everything into existence, did that, does, that, does our God, does that God of the universe really need human beings to dig ditches before he can send water the answer is absolutely not God could instantly snap his finger and make ditches everywhere God in an instant could speak and there would be rivers and lakes and oceans like he did (coughs) excuse me but it's almost if God was saying you show me some faith and then I'll show you my faithfulness Because God loves to see faith in action. The Christian life is by faith. It's not by sight. You and I like to live a lot of our lives by sight. God says, I want you to live by faith. Faith in action. Remember when Peter was in the boat with the other disciples and a storm came up and then they hear a voice out in the middle of this storm and it's Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus, is that you?
1: Jesus says, come to me. You know how I said if I was Peter?
0: (laughs) You're Jesus, you come to me. (laughs) Right? Would you say all the disciples had faith? Maybe, certain times. You know how many got out of the boat and walked towards Jesus? One. When he took his eyes off of Christ, what happened? He began to sink. What about the other 11? They didn't show any faith. They didn't take any action. Did they want to get to Jesus? I'm sure they did. They were scared to death, but they didn't take action. They didn't exercise their faith.
1: Only one got out of the boat. Only one exercised some faith. I believe some of us,
0: for things really to change in our life, we just may be one step of faith away before God shares his faithfulness. Just one step. He wants us to participate. He wants to see our faith before he shows faithful. There's a guy in the story after story in the New Testament, there's a guy, remember, that had a withered hand. His hand had been withered his whole life. Did he want that to be healed? Of course he did. Do you think he ever prayed that would be healed? Of course he did. Do you think he ever went and asked the doctors and whoever, how do I help my withered hand? Of course, I'm sure he did. He's around Jesus one day and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Don't you think part of this in this guy's mind was like, are you kidding me? You don't think I've done that a million times? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and it won't move. But Jesus wanted to see if he would trust him and try some action, and so he did, and Jesus healed his hand. Remember the guy who couldn't walk? He'd been years and years and years. He'd been an invalid. He had to be carried here and there, carried there by his friends, by his family, and Jesus healed him one day, and Jesus said, pick up your mat and go home. Jesus didn't stand him up. He told him, you stand up and pick up your mat and go home. He wanted to see some action. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you and I to dig the ditch.
1: God says, You show me some faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. We don't need tons of faith. We just need to take some action in faith. Take
0: a step of faith. I've heard so many times from people in years Pastor, will you pray? I want to quit smoking. You know what? Take a step. When you walk out today, throw your cigarettes in a trash can.
1: That's a step. That's digging a ditch. That's taking out your shovel. I hear
0: people all the time, you know what, pastor, I want my kids to serve Jesus and be strong Christians. And you know what I often think? At least sometimes I say it, sometimes I wish I'd have said it. Then why aren't they here? Why isn't church and age-appropriate teaching a priority to you and your family? How often do you open up the Bible at home with your kids and pray with your kids? How often do they see you read the Bible? How important do they see that in your life? And how important do they see worship in your life? That's taking action. It's Be a godly parent. Be an example. Set priorities that really make a difference. I want more money, Pastor. where you pray our finances are bad? Are you tithing? Oh, we can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. Because 90% in Jesus' hand, when you put him first, is greater than 100% in your hands. And you know what the proof is? Look where you're at. I've told you our story. I won't go into that today, but we've tried it both ways. And let me tell you, I'd never go back to taking all of it to myself because it's not mine. Everything that comes in my hands, I believe is a
1: blessing from God. And so the first thing we do is we turn 10% back to him. It's quiet in here. (laughs) Have you noticed how quiet?
0: We all want God to be faithful, but many of us don't take out our shovels and dig. We don't want to take a step. We want it on our terms. And God says, no, you want some water, dig a
1: ditch, but we're tired, we're thirsty.
0: He wanted them to exercise some faith. Only God can send the water, but he wants us to dig the ditch. Sometimes we've got to dig a ditch. talking to a single guy not too long ago. He said, Pastor, I really want a wife. I want a wife. I've been praying, God, send me a wife. I'm like, yeah, but all you do is sit on your butt at home. Where are you going to find a wife? You think God's going to send a beautiful woman knocking at your door and say, here I am, honey, take me to church. I'm all yours. (laughs) Brush your teeth. Comb your hair change your shirt, get out, do some things, right? Go recreate, come to church, do something. Only God can send the lady, but you got to brush your own teeth. <laughs> Take out your shovel. All right, let's look at the second principle. I'm getting myself in trouble. <clears throat> Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. This is huge. Real faith believes big, but it's willing to start small. Some people aren't willing to start small. Have you realized that? Some people want to have their first job pay $100,000 a year. Some people want to have a ministry that reaches thousands, but they don't, they're not willing to go across the street and minister to their neighbor. You can have big faith. God loves big faith, but so He wants us to start sometimes small, be willing to start small. Take a step. You might have a dream. Well, that's too little for me. I got this big dream. We'll start small. You know how you start a, You know how you dig a ditch? You ever dug a ditch? You know how you dig a ditch? It starts with one shovel full. (laughs) Whew, I got a long way to go, right? We do that all the time, right? We stop after one shovel. That's enough. I'm tired. We've all done that. You pick the area. I'm going to start eating better. How'd that last for you? I'll start on Monday. I'll start next Monday. I'll start the first of the month. We got this thing scheduled this weekend. Can't do it then. I'll start then, right? We serve a big God, but so many of the biggest things that people have ever done for God started small. One shovel stuck in the ground, one load of dirt thrown, and then another shovel, and another shovel. Look at Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work of
1: Begin. You've gotta start. You've gotta start. But we want
0: water, then dig a ditch and it starts with one shovel full. There may be some of you, you got a big, big vision. But where are
1: you gonna start? You gotta start small. You gotta start with one shovel full. Pastor, you don't know nothing about starting small. Really? You
0: know how this church started? Three people. And then my wife and myself and our daughter showed up, so we went from three to six. And I'm like, this is easy,
1: 100% in one day.
0: (laughs) 35 years ago, with six people, Five years in, I wrote down what I thought was a
1: big, big, big vision. We lived in a community of 2,500 people in Hudson.
0: Said, God, you know, you want me to dream big? I'll dream big. Wherever we ever could be a church of 500, reach people that were disconnected from your family and baptize. And see people come to faith in you and have a church of 500 people whose lives were changed. That'd be amazing. Little did I know God was saying, you have no idea. That seems like a big vision to you, buddy. I'm going to blow that out of the water one day. I had no idea. But we started small. I'm not patting myself on the back or ourselves on the back. I'm telling you, it was one shovel full at a time. And we... We didn't quit because, well, what if, and what if, and what if. You just dig, 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 dig. And it starts with one step. No matter what your greatest need is. And we've all got a story, right? And not everybody's story turns out the same way. But not everybody exercises faith the same way. Some people have dreamed for years and never put one shovel in the ground. Some people have had marriages that have tanked for years and years, but you haven't got one lick of help. Some of you have struggled for financially for almost all your life and you've never got help. You've never done it God's way. You've never put him first because it doesn't make
1: sense to you. Anybody ever struggle losing weight? Anybody? Come on.
0: Let me tell you about a crossroader named Chris. Chris uh, and I talked before I went on vacation, and I won't—I can't go into all those details yet. But I can tell you this: that I was instantly drawn to this guy because uh, we've got a lot of things in common. Um, But here's what Chris shared. He said, "As a a kid, he was super active. He—he was young adult. He." ran and jumped and played and got involved in sports and all other kinds of activities and and all those things. And then extracurricular things, church things, right? But how many people know that times change things, right? And then pretty soon you wake up and it's like it's five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, and you talk about what used to be, but that ain't what is anymore. And so Chris said, fast forward 30 years, he looked in the mirror one day and he looked at himself and here's what he saw. 343-pound Chris. Now, I didn't know Chris then. He said life had taken its toll on him. He had a very lucrative career. But he said he, there was days he could barely muster up enough energy to get himself out of bed. Anybody been there? Regardless of the situation, right? He wanted things to be different. He, he prayed that things would be different. But he struggled even to get up and move on with his day at times. Until 2016, a series of life events happened in his life that kind of brought him to his knees. He was humbled in a different way, and, he, and eventually he decided really to do something about it and do something that he hadn't done in years. And that was A, to ask God to guide him,
1: and B, to take some action. And after a year,
0: of putting one shovel in the ground at a time, and one day at a time. Chris lost 100 pounds. After two years, he was down. And Chris would tell you today that by changing a lot of things, eating habits, exercise, all of that, is what changed his life, but it started with one shovel, one step. He's committed today to helping other people do that, to take action. And he says, if he can do it, anyone can do it. it Take a step. Started with a step. You know what we want? Some of you are saying, yeah, just, I just want to lose 20. Like, could I do it in one day, one weekend? No. You show your faith, God shows His faithfulness. I want to encourage you. By the way, stay tuned, maybe in the next few months. Chris really wants to use what God has done with him to make a difference in crossroaders' lives. But I want to encourage you to think big, but to be willing to take a step, because only God can send the water, but He wants you and I to dig the ditch. God loves when we participate in His miracles, when He can see our faith, when He can see us take action, when we don't see the path, but we see one step in front of us. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Think of that in light of your greatest need, your situation today. Let's look at our last verse, 2 Kings 3.20 says this. The next morning, after they'd started digging ditches that didn't make sense, about the time for the offering of the sacrifice, you Ready? There it was, after they faithfully dug some ditches, one shovelful at a time. The Bible says water was flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. They were about to drop over dead. Their animals were about to drop over from dead. And a prophet says, God says, dig some ditches. That makes no sense. We're exhausted. We don't even know if we can pick up a shovel, dig a ditch, and one shovel
1: full at a time, and God sent the rain. What's your if only? If only God would meet my need. If only God would do that. If only God could do that. God can do that. Don't forget that your biggest need can become the biggest blessing when it
0: drives you and it drives me to depend on God, not on ourselves. Real faith, real faith becomes big when you're willing to start small. I pray for you You pray for me. You pray for our church. I want this church to be full of people that have big faith but are willing to start small. We're living in a season where I believe God's looking for people that know Him to begin one shovel full at a time because there's people outside of the walls of this church. There's people at your work. There's people in your neighborhood. If they are to die today, They'd be separated from the God who loves them because they don't know the truth. Those of us who are carrying truth, we've got a responsibility to use our
1: time, our talent, our treasures, not just to make a living, but to do God's work. Take a page out of this story, take a page out of Chris's story whatever the if-only is in your life. Pick up your shovel. Push it in the ground. Take a step of action. If you show your faith,
0: God will prove himself to be faithful. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that you would build the faith of this church, which only happens when we as individuals grow in our faith. I want to ask you three questions today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one's looking around. Those of you that are home, you can just bow your head and close your eyes as well. I wonder how many of you would be honest between you and God. That's a step of faith here today. And say, yeah, you know what, Scott, I, to the truth be known, I'm facing something in my life right now where I would need prayer. I want God to intervene. If that's you, put your hands up wherever you're at. There's a lot of hands up, right? Because we're all humans. We're all facing something. We're all somewhere. The second question, I wonder how many of you at this point in your life would just be honest and say, God, you know what? I've heard about all the stories. I know a lot of those stories. But quite honestly, God, when I look at my own faith, I don't see it really being exercised. I kind of live by sight. But God, I really do want to exercise my faith. I would ask you to increase my faith. I would ask you to give me the courage to take a step. If that's you, raise your hand. God, I pray for these two groups of people. I pray for those of us that are in situations
1: where we've been praying for a miracle, but we've not been very active. We want to lose weight, but we fail to exercise. We want a better marriage,
0: but we won't ask for help. We want our finances to improve, but God, we're still doing it our way and We're not givers, we're not tithers. God, we want our health to be better, but we're not doing anything to help our health. And God, we understand you could do it all without us, but you want us to participate. So God, I pray for every group that's there. But there's some people here today, listen, are listening. Let me ask you the third question. Do you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever received Him? Not are you religious, not do you believe in God, not are you spiritual? You see, because the Bible says that God so loved you and so loved me that He sent Jesus to come and live on this earth, the same earth that we live on. And He was tempted as a human being in every area just like you and I are. But He never sinned. He never failed. Not one time. And because of that, he was crucified. He shed his blood. He was crucified on a cross. He died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he did what no one can, ever has, or ever will do again. He defeated death. He took all the punishment that you and I deserve on himself in hopes that you and I would recognize who he is, what he's done, and he's our only hope and our greatest opportunity for heaven. If you'll receive him by faith as your Savior and Lord, he will adopt you into his family. We're all creations of God. We're not all children of God, but he made it possible for all of us to be children of God by dying and resurrecting from the dead. So whoever trusts in him and believes in him, he will save. That means he'll forgive you of all you've ever done wrong. And he'll adopt you into his family, never to be unadopted. It's the greatest gift you'll ever be offered. Have you received that gift? If not, right where you're at, make this your prayer. Say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know that I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I believe Jesus was. And that when he came and lived here, he was on a mission to restore me, to forgive me, to make me, and put me in a place to have an opportunity to be adopted. So God, as best I know how I turn from my sin today, I turn to you as my only hope, Jesus. Come in and be my Savior, be my Lord. And from this day forward, I belong to you. Use me, my time, my talent, my treasure to make a
1: difference in your world. And I say thanks, and everybody said, amen.